This is Simon Transparently Awakening the heart of humanity As we see beyond the lies And open our eyes to realize This is our time to rise Welcome everybody today uh, Welcoming Jeff Also because he's launched another book Called Grounded Spirituality And I've been reading that And so inspired that I wanted to bring him on Welcome, Jeff. There it is. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for being here. And it feels so good. Reunited and I'm understood. That's nice. And that, not that nice, but thank you. <laughs> so good to see yeah. you. Yeah, really good to see you. And for everybody watching, so I've just been speaking to Jeff for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. And, and I'm really, I'm already pumped up. And, and this, this thing when I speak to people that are really grounded and sharing wisdom and insights and sharing themselves, I, I get inspired and it inspires me more to, to share myself. So um, Jeff, maybe for people who haven't heard of you, do you want to just drop in and say, like, maybe the essence of why you wrote Grounded Spirituality? It doesn't have to be a big, like, life story, because that, that's in the book, as I can share with them. But just a little bit of why you wrote Grounded Spirituality. I mean, I think it was the culmination of many years of personal exploration and, and my experiences in the field of self-help spirituality field. And I made a film, Carmageddon, where I was really went much deeper in my exploration of that experience with Bhagavan Das into what is spirituality, what is, I kind of started in my life more psychotherapeutically oriented. I wasn't really organized around this thing called spirituality. And then I had a love experience that I wrote about in an Uncommon Bond in the late 90s and, and was catapulted to a different kind of consciousness and began looking more deeply at what is this thing called spirituality, you know? Um, and I think that, you know, this book just was a culmination of many, many years of that exploration. By the time I sat down to write it, I had a four or 500 page manuscript to work from with notes. And so I'd been inside of this inquiry inside of my body for, for the longest, longest time. And, um, and it was just time to put it all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to, to bring it to a, a more of a, a broader perspective, I mean, I think I had a calling to bring this message. I think that it really is fundamental to my sacred purpose in this lifetime to bring this particular message for all kinds of reasons. Um, this study about what it is to integrate an expansive consciousness and a localized consciousness in many ways was always with me. And, you know, I think that it was absolutely it was a very difficult book to write, but it was an essential book to write because I was called to write it. And I, you know, I think that when we live inside of a sacred purpose driven life, it's not necessarily an easy life, but, um, you know, we always have the satisfaction of knowing that we're, we're, where we belong. And I belonged inside of this book for that period of time. Yeah. And also to add into that, this has been a, you know, this has been a link and obviously the part that I've been reading is this is a link because, you know, it's still, we have, we have soul shaping us another book of Jeff's. We have the uncommon bond. We have um, a number of different books that Jeff's written about. And, and I want to say as well that the Karmageddon documentary, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with Jeff, 
uh, or his uh, his real I, I say realness. I just said to him before we started, oh, you know, uh, be transparent. I, I like transparent. And he said, well, I, I don't believe anyone saying they're transparent. But in that film, Carmageddon, in my opinion, it was a real transparent offering from you and your emotional, vulnerable in my opinion, honest inquiry into this whole, uh, you know, who am I and this seeking truth, right? Would you, would you uh, we won't just want to just say a few words on that because that, that for me was a very vulnerable uh, offering, no? Yeah, I mean, I, I, what, what I meant when I said that to you about transparency is it's just become such a kitschy word that I, I don't know if when people use it, if they're telling the truth anymore. And, and I do think there are levels of transparency, even when I'm in my seemingly most transparent state. Uh, if I continue to develop and unfold, I ultimately realize that I wasn't quite as transparent with myself usually that I, as I could have been. And so I think my journey has really been primarily a quest for truth. I mean, I think we can all kind of say that in a way. Um, but I was really into trying to identify, even in my crazy family environment, what was true. You know, there was all these reframes of stories and events. And I was like what Virginia Satir called the congruent child who was trying to really language and name precisely what was actually happening and what events had transpired. And I, I still think that's primarily how, how I'm oriented. And it began really internally. I was, you know, I was a teenager and I would start writing on the sidebar of my notebook in class and in first year university, you are not who you appear to be. So I was always, you know, comparing this experience of Jeffness with some more authentic experience of Jeffness that I seem to inherently know existed for me. Mm. Um, so I think so much of this dance out into the world, bringing my voice to the world in many ways is so much and soul shaping and the film were a reflection of it. were about my own internal inquiry into what was true, what was truly Jeff, what was truly spiritual, what was truly human, you know, and that's why now I don't, the word spiritual doesn't mean, I mean, it means humanness to me. To me, I've come to really realize, and I said this in the book, that, you know, my journey has become one of becoming just more human. And that to me is what it means to live a more spiritual life. And when I wrote Soul Shaping, I was dancing in the ethers a little. I was somewhere between groundedness and ungroundedness. There's parts of that book I really don't resonate with anymore. There's parts of an uncommon bond that I don't fully resonate with anymore. And maybe in three to five years, I won't fully resonate with this book anymore right. because I think I'm becoming more integrated, more grounded, more human, more no bullshit. Um, and yeah, as I said, you know, at some point in the future, I may realize that what I just said wasn't true. Right. <clears throat> and that for me is an expression of transparency. And that's for me something that I really connect with and, and appreciate in you. It's something that I've appreciated from all of our conversations and from what I've continued to read and, and explore. And, and why, as I'm reading uh, Grounded Spirituality right now, <clears throat> your path resonates so much with my own and actually gives me confirmation. And, and No, not confirmation, it's the wrong word. Permission to also change my mind and to look at where I was slightly lost at times thinking that I may have found the, the, the answer or the way or yes, now it's here and now it's there. And, and knowing that in that process where even moments when I thought, oh, I'm enlightened and then realizing that, oh no, I've just got a load more shit to clean up, right? And it was like, so, and, and sort of following your, your path has been a, a great, um, yeah, just been an anchor for me. And, you know, just in these conversations we've had and what I've read and, and now this book is sort of bringing it all together at the moment. And for everyone watching, I'm not, I haven't completed the book, but I'm so 
I'm so, um, I don't like saying I'm so excited. Sometimes what every American person says when they come on video, I'm so excited to be here today, you know what I mean? But like there is this sense of um, aliveness in my body from reading what, you, what, you, what I've read Great. so far. Great. Well, that's and, what every, every writer wants their book to be alive for the right. reader. And you said something to me a moment ago. You said that, because um, I said to Jeff, I said, I'm highlighting it all. It looks like rainbow book now because I'm like uh, just highlighting all these different colors. And, um, and I said, sometimes I just highlight because I think, okay, that's a moment I want. And I'm realizing that, you know, I could keep highlighting because it's, it's really hitting, hitting me where I, um, I need it right now. On top of that, I'm writing a book and it's just so supportive of what I'm wanting to come, uh, come through. And then, so I want us, I want us to jump into the book a little bit. And, and, um, I want to say that, you know, for example, me and Jeff just said an intention of this call is to really invite you, the listener, to let, let's decipher between, you know, somebody who's really uh, making a conscious contribution, uh, meaningful contribution to, to humanity and those that are maybe frivolously talking about it. Right, Jeff? Um, sure. And, and you, you say something beautiful, and I'm just going to play with this. I don't know if this is the right place to jump in, but this monkey heart. Well, we hear the monkey mind, Right. And we hear the monkey mind and everyone's got to like sort out the monkey mind. And you say something beautiful. Are you happy to dive into this part about the monkey heart? Right. And I, 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 I haven't heard that expression. And I just think it's beautiful for this new vision that we're all talking about. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I you haven't heard it because I made it up. But let me let me find. Um, well, so let, let, let me just say that, you know, and it ties into what you just talked about, about this notion of you're enlightened and then coming to realize that you weren't and all that. So for me, the way I, I view what I call most of spirituality is like patriarchal spirituality is, is spirituality that is really, you know, inherently contradictory. Um, it's about achieving something called mastery or something called enlightenment or something called awakened as opposed to awakening. Um, it's little boys who don't want to admit that they're imperfect and filled with confusion and pain who found another little game they're going to play where they get to pull away from the world because it's too painful and triggering and traumatizing and re-traumatizing for them and to convince everybody that they're the great master that's bringing the great wisdom while they meditate in a cave for 25 years and the women bring them milk and bow to their feet and then leave and talk about the great one that's in the cave, right? And part of that whole game and that whole system for me is this blaming of the mind for all of our problems. It's a, it's a game because for me, the way that I resolve this dancing mind, this, this neurotic back and forth within my consciousness was almost always by dropping down into my body and clearing my emotions. Right. So for me, it was really symptomatic, the mind. The real issue lay below the mind almost always. Now, of course, there are some problems with people with cognition and various psychological conditions, and I understand that. But most often in my experience, the monkey mind really is sourced in the monkey heart. And so I would do a bioenergetic release. I would do a holotropic breath work. I would do dance, move with sound and energy, move anger, rage, tears, laughter, whatever it was something I call barking dog yoga, which you'll come to later in the book as a, as a way of moving material while opening the body. And only when I did that would my mind calm down. So I could sit with Jack Kornfield forever and do Vipassana and I could witness my material and get inside of one part of my mind, the witnessing mind to watch the fucked up dancing part of my mind and really nothing changed. I mean, if I did it for long enough, which I wasn't inclined to do, I could get into that kind of pseudo equanimity meditation stupor way of talking like the way Tolle talks. 
but I didn't feel more enlivened. I didn't feel more human. And I certainly didn't feel like I healed anything. It felt like all I was doing was you know, using meditation as a kind of a drug trip in a way. Um, but when I would then do a holotropic breathwork with Stan Groff the next afternoon at this wonderful insight and opening workshop, release, discharge, hit the ground, throw the assistance off my back, symbolically throw my mother off my back. At the end of it, I would go outside, look at the field of bulrushes that I experienced in a very disjointed way before the breathwork and feel completely at one with them. So it was like an interesting experience that the way for me to come to the calmness internally was to do the work in the emotional body. So patriarchal spirituality doesn't just blame the mind and live in this dancing mind game that they live inside where nothing really ever changes because you can't change the mind from within the mind. It doesn't really work. Um, they also blame the self, the localized self, and they seek an absolute self field, some absolute experience of equanimity independent of all your craziness and the human collective ancestral generational craziness that we're all carrying in our bones, whether we like it or not. Uh, they bash the ego. They bash um, your stories. They bash your personal identifications. None of that is real. It's all some kind of an illusion. And the real field of consciousness exists completely independent of your humanness, almost as though the good Lord, if there is one, uh, put you in human form. And that was a mistake, because, in fact, what you're really supposed to be doing, if you want to really awaken, is floating up and out and transcending your human experience and living in some kind of an absolute field of consciousness. So all of it just seems to me to be mostly nonsense. Um, and mostly what they're talking about for me is a first stage of awakening. So you, you know, you do Tolle's little dance, you meditate, you witness your pain body. I call it my tender woundedness. I don't like calling it a pain body because it sounds like I'm talking about a car park. It's so detached, but you can use that language if you're doing it as an initial foray into witnessing, watching, learning about yourself through a more expansive consciousness. But if you don't then come down with that material, back into this body and try to work the weave and integrate yourself into a more inclusive experience of your humanness, then to me, all you've done is dissociated and bypassed from reality. Um, and you can do that for as long as you want to do it. If I could do it a little more than I do it, I'd be happy, but I can't seem to do it. It's not my nature to do it for very long. Right. And I think that really, you know, once you begin to do the work of trying to work the weave, the holy weave, I think that you come to realize that the notion of enlightened stop, awakened stop, mastery stop um, is, is kind of preposterous because the more deep, the more deeply I go into my emotional material that's held within the bones of my being, the more I come into contact with more and more layers of material, some ancestral material, generational material, personal material that I'm not even conscious of in my daily life. And you know, it just seems more and more obvious to me all the time that it's an ongoing unfolding. And if you're not experiencing it as an ongoing unfolding, then what you've really done is find a, found a place to hide, but not really found a place to live. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. I mean, we talk about inclusivity politically. We talk about inclusivity racially. We talk about inclusivity with respect to gender. It's wonderful that we're, you know, I love the work of Justin Trudeau and Sophie Trudeau. They're all about inclusivity. We also have to talk about internal inclusivity, kind of the work that um, Richard Schwartz has done with um, internal family systems, we're talking about bringing our parts into alignment, into integration with the core and primary self. And you know, I think that's my work. I use the term enrealment to describe that or Western consciousness to weave all of these wisdoms 
because my view is the the only way we're going to do anything to change this world is if we show up and arrive for all of it. If we're not in our bodies, as Andrew Harvey said in the foreword, and as I tried to say throughout the book, if we're not integrating all of our aspects, well, we're and if we're just mastering one thread of consciousness and negating all the uncomfortable ones, we're not going to do anything to change what's happening in this planet because we're not even going to be here to see any of it happening because we're actually in our bodies. Yeah, exactly. That that brings me into our friend's book, uh, Radical Wholeness, Philip Shepard, right? That's great. Book. Yeah, and again, just this, um, the, yeah, I guess this is one of the things that I always say is that there's this sense of we do a retreat called Naked, and it's this idea of stripping away, stripping away everything you think you know, and then sort of like seeing, seeing who you are underneath that and, and actually uh, what you want to, uh, you know, uh, who you want to be and how you want to show up in the world. And what, as we said earlier, what's your contribution and you, the way why, you, why are you here? Why are you here? Yeah, I mean, why? Right? Why are you here? Because we've got so many other layers on top of ourselves first that are telling us why we're here. And like you said, even this quest for enlightenment, this quest for competition, and so on. So, like that—that that question that is being posed for so long, it, nobody's clearly answered it. Right? <laughs> it's not like somebody's clearly answered it. That's why everyone's still running around like headless chickens. Otherwise, we'd all know, right? Everyone would be going, right? Cool. This is why we're here. Yeah, like that's bullshit and this is real. So let's get on with the real. Right. Most of us are we're tripping out on the bullshit. But the ungrounded spiritualities are pretending that they're leading us away from the bullshit, but they're actually leading us to a much bigger pile of bullshit. That's the problem because they're not leading us back into our integrated bodies. Right. Um, that's why this conversation really matters. And that's why Philip Shepard's work really matters because he really is talking about becoming whole again. Um, because what we've done is bifurcated our consciousness, fractured and fragmented our consciousness. So parts of us are developed, other parts are underdeveloped. And so how can we experience reality as a holistic being if in fact we're just living from various parts, some developed, some non-developed, some we don't even know exist. How many people live their lives in a very particular habitual range of motion or of emotion without realizing there's four million billion other ways of experiencing and perceiving reality at the same time. Exactly. The problem with the ungrounded spiritualities is they point out that we're conditioned in the wrong direction accurately. They point out that we're often living in false identifications and stories, but then they lead us away from the localized self to an amorphous field where we're supposed to find some great story that what applies to everybody. It's, it's a joke. I mean, how can you find your sacred purpose if you're not in your body? We don't all have the same purpose. If we go to an absolute equanimity field of consciousness, only a unity consciousness experience, we will not find that place where our individual droplet of meaning meets the ocean of essence because we're not in our individuality in order to figure out why we're here. And so, so much of this book, as you continue to read it, you get into the dialogues with Michael, a, a, a seeker comes to me in the book and in Toronto, and we go from place to place dialoguing about his life, and I try to move him in the direction of being here more. He was like a chronic meditator. He didn't really want anything to do with the human relational field. Um, and the, the first part of the dialogue is, is what I call here, which is I'm just trying to get him here, which means he's got to come back down, travel through the emotional body, clear all the debris that's obstructing his consciousness and propelling him into his meditation addiction. He doesn't want to be in his body. It's not that he just doesn't want to be in the world. He doesn't want to be inside of his inner world. Um, and then after we get him to the place where he's more comfortable being here, the next question is, he goes, okay, so now why am I here? You know, it feels like shit to be here. The world's a mess, which you just acknowledged. 
And then the work is for him to find a sacred purpose in his body. So he's here and then the why shows up because the here and the why are linked. The more you're here, the more clarity you has, have as to the why. And the more you're in your why, the more you're compelled right back into here. So when I'm writing, which is primary to my sacred purpose, if I'm writing from my cleanest, purest place, I'm back in my body and in the moment. It's my portal to divinity. So here and why are inextricably linked. But in our world, we can't even get to the why because most people aren't even here. And that's the work we've got to get here. Right. So, so that makes so what comes up for me is you're saying that. So the, the disconnect that we're seeing everywhere is that disconnect of being out of the body. And, and when I say out of the body, even if you're not even on a spiritual quest and you haven't even started meditating and so on, right. I'm just talking about people who, uh, who have, haven't even come into their body to ask the question of like, who am I? Right. Like, let alone, like we're just functioning in day-to-day -day society, earning some buck, competing with everybody. Every, everyone's against everybody. It's, it's dog eat dog. It's me against the world. I'm in this state of separation. And I need to just earn some, you know, I need to earn two grand a month to pay my bills and, and get some food on the table, let alone think about the potential of mass extinction, right? So, right. so that's the problem. So because we're still in a survivalist consciousness, right. which is just about defining meaning by what puts food on the table, and that is where we come from, and we have to acknowledge it, yeah. it's very hard to get to what I'm proposing, which is more of an authentic consciousness of what you're proposing, which is we're asking the deeper question of why am I here? What are my gifts and callings and offerings? all of that, um, and then how do I make a living doing that? And that's why so many of us who start to cross the bridge towards a more authentic inquiry into who we are and maybe find something that feels more truly aligned with who we deeply are, why we're here in coded path, what James Hillman called innate image, I have so much language, soul scriptures for it, um, often don't know how to make a living and intersect with society because society's still trapped in a survivalist consciousness. So, right. You know, that's our work and that's where we're at. And the concern, obviously, with the climate problem and amongst many other problems is that we're not going to fully be able to cross that bridge because the climate change issue is going to force us all back to that hardcore biological survivalist instinct. Which is yeah. what's happening, which is also what's being promoted at the moment, even regardless, or for 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 a large majority of our species, they are watching and seeing just crises right now. They're not even getting the opportunity to have a breath. I like how you described it in your book as well. It's like when you go through one layer and another layer through the bioenergetic work, you get to have another perspective, right? Once you've cleared some debris, as you call it. Person. You yeah. become a different person. Right. right. So then at that different place, you can start to right. view, view different things and see from a different perspective and go, okay, I wasn't able to see that before. Now I am. But if everyone's in this crisis mentality, sort of blinkers on, oh my God, it's all over. How am I going to survive crises? Governments collapsing, climate, you know, it's like nobody's stopping to breathe and go, what is the solution to this as opposed to being in a reactive mode of, oh my God, um, fight or flight or freeze, right? Well, and, and absolutely. And there are many solutions, which, uh, and one of them is to disconnect from the unconscious media. It, you know, which has now been presenting itself for a long time as a more conscious media because they're exposing Trump. But actually, by paying so much attention to every word that moron says, they're actually, be, again, 
living in the heart of the unconscious media. I mean, to me, so much of what's happening is about the difference between living from an open or a closed heart. And a survivalist consciousness is a closed hearted way of being. A crisis consciousness, we close our heart, we batten down the hatches, we do what we have to do to stay alive. It's a biological necessity. We have people to take care of, we have to take care of our partners, we have to take care of ourselves. So, you know, it's not to disparage that tendency in all of us, but what we need to do is we need to go deeper into our heart, clear the emotional debris. So in those low-end sections I wrote about when I worked with um, the bioenergetic co-founder, um, Alexander Lowen, he would take me over his breathing stool and force me to sort of push air into my lungs. And all of a sudden I would have access to all kinds of old pain and memories and childhood traumas and, and anger, that all kinds of feelings that in my waking habitual survivalist consciousness, I had no awareness of because my breathing was shallow. And when you shallow breathe, you don't remember everything because you're holding it and you have to expand the lungs and expand the container. And then the feelings, memories emerge after the experiences with him, I would release and move my material and tantrum. And he had a whole trip that you went on with him at the end of it. I would feel like a different human. My perspective on everything that I felt before the session had shifted or changed or it, many meaningful things had shifted and changed. And so if you watch Trumpian rallies and you see all of these close hearted survivalists, they're coming very honestly from a survivalist. You know, it's a toxified version of it, but they're coming from a survivalist consciousness. They are truly a reflection of where humans have been in many ways. And we, and progressives don't understand that we stand on the shoulders of those regressives in many ways because they they closed their hearts and built the railroads and built a world that we stand upon. I mean, we all really are all connected, and it's a horror horrifying thing to accept that they those people may have actually served a purpose in the lineage of my life but they have you know yeah. the problem is yeah. they don't know what it's like to experience life with their hearts open because right. of the world they inhabit right. their subcultures the whole way it is it's organized around toughness and surviving by the survival of the fittest so the real people say what can we do to get a trumpian to come over and understand a progressive consciousness well you've got to find some technique you got to bring him to a bioenergetic class. You got to find some tricky way to get him to have an experience of the heart opening, because once the heart opens, you realize you are all connected. To exactly. You. With your heart closed, all you're thinking about is yourself and protecting your people. Right. All right. And which makes makes total sense. I, there's something you said lovely in the book, which is my suffering converted into expansion in love's messy karmic kiln. Right. And, and I, <laughs> did you remember right now? So what, what I love that is like how you, you also use the word, I like this as well. Uh, I like the way you play with words, but like we're moving from awakening, which is what most people are sometimes striving for, to in-wakening, right? And I love that term of in-wakening because I've been saying to people for many years, go within or go without, right? As within, so without. If we don't, and, and we hear many messengers saying like, clean yourself, purify yourself, you know, uh, refine yourself, do the inner work. And, yep. and I want you to talk to this, but like the point I want to make is uh, who's consciously waking up and going, right, okay, I'm going to do the inner work, not for myself, for myself, but also knowing that this is my response to the suffering that I'm seeing in the world, right? That's the, yeah, what comes up for you? So two things. So the first thing is, a lot of times in the spiritual world, this is not true in the psychotherapeutic world, because I think the psychotherapeutic world, particularly the body-centered psychotherapeutic world, but not only the body-centered psychotherapeutic world, is more spiritual in its orientation than the so-called spiritual world, which I think is mostly selling us a karmic bill of goods. Because when they talk about doing inner work, the patriarchal 
traditions, what they're talking about is purifying this toxic, this is their languaging, the toxic body beast. Yoga was a, a bypass model, actually. It wasn't a model that was intended, like many other spiritualities aren't intended, for you to go inside of the honoring of your sacred story that you've lived inside of your bones, that story you carry from your ancestry generationally through the lineage. It's talking about seeing all of that as toxic, illusion, misidentification, falsity. Byron Katie, turn your story around. It's all about turning the story around. And where are we turning our story towards, in many of these teachings, towards some absolute, again, equanimity field where our experience of self is really an absolute self that is disconnected from the localized self. So for me, my work was going inside, going inside, but not as a witness to myself, but as an experiencer of myself and learning ways to activate the material that was held within me in a way of honoring that lineage doesn't mean to say that I want to hold on to all the suffering that I was holding on to. You want to move that material through to transformation in love's cosmic kiln, which also includes within your own self-loving cosmic kiln. And so that you honor selfhood, you honor where you come from, you honor the trauma as your door opener, and you get inside that material, work that material and transform. That's a very different experience of spirituality thereafter than somebody who's inviting you into the inner kingdom in a way that's dismantling and desacralizing your whole personhood, seeing your personhood as the problem, which is what they do, taking you somewhere where there is no personhood anymore, but there's this other thing they call enlightenment because then you're not an integrated being. So there's nothing to come back to. There's nobody home anymore, right? And this is what really propelled me in the direction of doing this work in the world more was when a friend of mine on Facebook killed herself after buying into all of these kind of new age and patriarchal traditions, firing her therapist and no longer taking her story and her selfhood seriously. Well, that story was embedded in the bones of her being, came back up in the night and eventually started to have a suicidal ideation about hanging herself and then hung herself. Um, yeah, I remember I emails from people with these stories with people around them who bought into these bullshit soul celebrity spiritualities that are selling nothing but imitative languaging. You read most of them, it's imitative. There's nothing new. There's no new terminology. There's nothing to take us somewhere else. Did you move your microphone? Huh? Did you move your microphone just then? I don't know. I didn't. Did I? Yeah, the, your your voice dropped. But just you, you didn't hear me now. Yeah, it's just it's, it, it it just went away. When you move forward, it, you didn't move the mic. You have you've got a mic in front of you. No, Go. I don't. Okay, just stay there. Carry on. No, that's lovely. The way they go. Yeah, I can hear you, but you just dropped out there. This is a really important point, I feel. So um, let's just go on this again. So I remember this back in, I think it was 2005 when we spoke that your friend, this happened to your friend, because I remember you going through a, a bit of the process. So what you're, what you're just saying, just for the people listening, is that what can happen in this sort of trying to detach from the story and say, like, I'm beyond the story. The story isn't me. What I've experienced, forget that. I'm in this sort of like, so let's say, more Zen economist state where I'm I'm the illusion. The body's the illusion and I'm transcending into a new state of being. Yeah. And it's just a story. It's right. not a story. It's just a story. It's just right? a story. Right. So your emotional trouble, your abandonment, your wounding, your rape your murder, whatever happened in your story, just let it go because it's just a story. It's not who you really are. And then what, and then what happens is that people right. still have that turmoil going on inside and, that, and you're, you're, you're pointing to that that can create even more 
suffering. And at this point, with your friend, she decided to uh, to to. Well, well, if you're a trauma survivor, the last thing you need is something that's going to dissociate you further. The right. last thing you need is something that's going to pit you against parts of your event, your experiences, your aspects, your elements, your stories. You need to actually go into them with the right healing support and techniques and find a way to heal whatever could be healed, learn lessons if there are lessons to be learned, and there aren't always with every trauma, and then come into a more integrated state where you are certainly able to access a more expansive consciousness or unity consciousness field or all oneness, whatever you want to call it, but it's coming and emanating from a very strong, sturdy, integrated self. That's a whole different experience of awakening than right. the one that floats away from all of it. Because when you float people who are serious trauma survivors away from their bodies, there's absolutely nothing for them to come home to. They're already having a hard time staying connected to their center. Because actually, I want to jump, jump in there, Jeff, just to stay on this, because most people don't talk about trauma. And I noticed recently when I was listening to a talk actually with Adishanti and um, um, what's his name? Gabor Mate. Yeah. And, and they brought up this sort of just skimmed, skimmed on a, 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 the bit about trauma. And even Adishanti was like open and said, well, you know, I don't claim to be a, a trauma a therapist. And if anybody comes no, to no, me. No, no, no. But he claims to, to be enlightened. He, he, he has that famous quote about what enlightenment is. And I read it and I go, well, how do you know? I mean, we're supposed to read that quote and assume that he must know because he's experiencing it. Right. I don't know if he's experiencing it. He might be telling me calling enlightenment exactly the patriarchal bullshit that I'm talking about as right. enlightenment. Yeah. Because I don't feel a bunch of vitality and energy coming off of that guy. And I have an inherent bias that if you're not energized on all kinds of levels, you're not awakened. You might be able to know equanimity in a very certain and particular way. But for me, I do come from the Alexander Lowen school of bioenergetic, we'll call it spirituality. And for me, that guy was vital. He has bright-eyed and bushy tail. There was energy coming off every part of his beingness. That felt way closer to an awakening experience to me right. than most right. of what these guys call awakening. Yeah, so the reason why I bring uh, – yeah, thank you for that. Well, the reason why I bring this up, I think it's a great point when we start to talk about trauma and this idea of bypassing trauma when actually there's so many people out there at the moment and – this is just my my thesis on it. My my perspective is that actually what we're experiencing is a shitload of trauma that nobody's we, we facing. Always have, we always have been, but yeah. now it's becoming more obvious as part of our evolution. Everyone's a trauma survivor, not big T trauma, small T trauma, whatever you want to call it. Everybody at this stage of human development, everybody is a trauma survivor, and to some extent, in one form or another, everybody's been victimized. Right. That doesn't mean you're living in perpetual complaint. And if you are, it's probably because nobody learned how to listen to you anyway. We need to understand and acknowledge that once we open the heart, well, the first thing we encounter is usually the pain that we haven't attended to. Okay? Exactly. And the ones who protest against it the strongest, that defend against the story the strongest, are usually the ones who are actually in the most fucking pain, right? So if we don't begin to understand spirituality and trauma are indistinguishable from each other, that the first way back into the body is through the unresolved pain, not witnessing it and calling that a life or calling that awakening. You know, Tolle told his story at the beginning of the power of now about how he was suicidal and woke up one morning and he was now kind of enlightened and sat in park benches in a state of bliss. He can call it enlightenment all he wants. I call that dissociation. And it's fine if you have a dissociative technique that can serve people so they don't kill themselves, but don't call it enlightenment. 
just call it the first step of a process. Yeah, so let's say way to bring all of this. I mean, like, like if spirituality doesn't mean reality, then what the fuck does it mean? I mean, it's like, it's to say that I'm a spiritual person because I'm a master meditator or I've become a master witnesser. Just call yourself a meditation teacher for fuck's sake. Stop calling yourself a, a spiritual teacher. Spirituality means reality. The one who's the most spiritual, if we can quantify it for, for a moment, is the one who's in the greatest number of threads of reality. Not the one who mastered one thread and pushed everything else away so they can sit in equanimity and claim that they're the enlightened one. They're full of shit. If they haven't developed all these other threads and found a way to weave all these other human aspects together, all they are are bypassers dissociating reality and trying to fool all of us into thinking they've got the great wisdom that they're bringing down the mountain to bring to the lowly village with mundane people worrying about feelings and talking about food and thinking about money and all these mundane matters. Those are the real enlightened ones. Those are the spiritual beings because they're holding a greater number of threads. My grandmother was far more enlightened than my grandfather because she was holding the heart for the whole community and village. And all he wanted to do was go be a master salesman, go to the racetrack and not deal with feelings at all. So who's a more awakened being? My grandmother, my booby was the awakened one. Yeah. And it took me 35 years to figure that out. Yeah, and I like, I like that definition. I, there's something here, and I hope this sound is sounding great. I want some clear sound. There's something here that, um, that links into that. And I love what you said, and I, I, I mean, some might say I wasn't a drug addict, but I took drugs for 15 years and I pretty much loved taking them. I wasn't like jacking up heroin and I wasn't, let's say, the messy drug addict that was always out. But I was addicted to hedonism. I was addicted to, uh, you know, taking MDMA and, um, and getting high. So I, I totally relate to what you said here. Which I love this little line and I read it to you um, that there's mechanisms to sidestep pain, confusing relief. I love this confusing relief with transformation. Drug, right, right. drug addicts are well-versed in this too, as well as pain bypasses, as you described yourself as. And I think this links in beautifully with this part because when you said that, for me, it was like, yeah, the amount of times where there's been relief and we think like, oh, we've transformed, we're enlightened, it's cool. But actually what's happened is we've We've, like you said, we've we've had a little sense of relief, basically. Do you want we to just? A, we had a break from our pain, right? right? I mean, I think Ayn Rand's line was, "Happiness becomes defined as a moment's relief from our chronic state of terror." You know, so it's. I mean, so that's what we're talking about. So you're no longer feeling all that soupy, unresolved material. So that becomes what we call enlightenment. And all it really is is a moment of relief. And not to say we don't need moments of relief. Of course. What we need to do are develop and co-create. This is the co-creational piece I talked about. And you'll get to it at the end of the book in the call to action. I didn't think I brought the whole offering. I think I'm bringing pieces, threads of it. And I feel like we need to get together to now figure out now what. So if we could show people how to transform that Sufi material and to grow through that material and to heal from whatever can be healed from within that material, they don't need to keep running away and calling that equanimity or calling that enlightenment. What they can learn how to do is actually feel satisfied in their lives or in their partnerships. So you look over a Dara and instead of looking at a drug to be the thing that's going to pull you up and out of your material, you find something in that co-creational relational field with her that actually brings you closer to divinity and it's actually a real authentic holistic experience rather yeah. than yeah. a drug-induced experience. Yeah, I love I love yeah. this. Whoa, I got some echo going down. Let's let's not have that. Okay, there was a beautiful part. I posted it today on the on my Facebook thread about relationship. 
I mean, we, we could take chunks of what Jeff's been sharing and, and do whole talks in it. And I've got a feeling there's going to be some more conversations, Jeff, if you're happy, because I think as I work through the book, I would like to jump in with you again and, and just pick up on threads because it is, like I said to everybody listening and, and I've been sharing, there's a lot of richness in here. And I love what you just said about the call, call to action. And we're going to come to that. But before we do, I want us to, I want the, the listeners, <clears throat> I'm going to just share this line. I love this. Like what Jeff's saying is like, is this an enlightenment dance or a trauma trance? And I may even call the talk. In the Tolle section, I think. Yeah. And what I, yeah. And what I loved about this is that like, again, that hit me in, in a sense of, yeah, like, like at the moment, if we, if we need, in my opinion, and you call it enrealment, but I, I think you call it enrealment meaning let's get real, right, Jeff? Is that the sort of term of yeah, that? Like, let's be here for all of it. Yeah. Let's be here for all of it. So that's really what I guess on, on many respects is my call out. It's like, I often say, stop lying, start loving. Let's cut the crap and let's, you know, let's look at it all. Like let's own that we're feeling, you said it lovely earlier as well. We're feeling it all. Like I'm feeling that the whales are getting fucked over in there and I'm feeling that the bloody, uh, you know, people are dying. I'm feeling that the gays are getting hung because they want to be gay. I'm feeling that the women are getting locked in cupboards because of the menstruation month. I'm feeling the fact that like men and women don't hug in certain countries. I'm feel, I feel it all. And I don't even watch the right. fucking news, right? And I'm, it's coming at me from different places. And, 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 and the thing is, is in fact, funny enough, that, that fuels me, that gives me passion to go, okay, I want to be a, a revolutionary in this. I want to actually stand for what's possible. Even if I know I'm going to die and I'm not going to be here for much longer, that's irrelevant. The point is I want to stand for this beautiful life, this beautiful, divine, magnificent, wonderful gift that I've been given, this wonderment. And I want to live for that. That's what drives me. So I, I don't know what spot. Well, that's, well, so we could call that sacred purpose. So, so, and you asked this earlier, you know, how do we get people to start thinking about their contribution to society, not just within themselves? My experience is you have to do enough work within the self that you reach a stage where you're kind of done with the self, not done, really done. You're still living deeply from and within it. But you've done enough work within the self that the natural movement is towards more of a collective awareness. You start to think about now what am I going to bring back to the village? That's an offering, not not the detached offering of the meditation cave dweller. He's not coming back to the village. He wants to stay right there because that's the only place he can hide from his stuff. You want to come right back into the village with hugging, with whatever it is you want to do to bring people. to. So that's a stage. If we don't get people, the reason why I critically review spiritual teachings is because so many of them are leading people away from the real work within the integration of the self that will then lead us to start looking around horizontally, not vertically, thinking about, oh, my God, what is happening here? What have we done to our planet? What are we doing to each other? Why are we not living from love? Why are we not truly supporting and honoring each other's sacred humanness? If you're buying into a spirituality or a capitalistic structure that doesn't honor the relational field, that's all about the self, selfhood, you and God, vertically transcendent, all those things, you're never going to do anything to change the world because you don't even think the world is real. You think it's all an illusion. The whole game is predicated on the bullshit story that none of this is real. Tell that to your body when your body's just about to die. All of this is real, every single part of it. And so we need to get here. How do we get here? We've got to ground and embody our spirituality. 
And then as part of that, we start noticing, and this is what happened to me, I did a lot of work on myself. I went to see Lowen, I did breath work, I did 15 years of therapy, I was inside of my process, I note wrote, I wrote on walls, I did everything. And then I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'm not done with you, but I'm done enough with you that I started to think about what's my offering. Exactly. Because offering is all inside of that material. Yeah. If you don't go through that material, I found my call to write at the end of an emotional release phase. If you're going to keep dissociating from the emotional material you're holding, you're never going to find your path. Your path's not in the stars. Your path's in your bones. It's all in the bones. So if you're not going to go into the bones and every part of the bones to really get to know who lives inside of here, you're never going to find your sacred purpose. And you're not going to notice it when all of it comes to an end. Mm. Mm. So that maybe leads us into because... Um, yeah, I think I think that maybe leads us into because the this idea of <clears throat> and I haven't got there yet, but maybe we can talk a bit about this. That at the the, the letter stage of the uh, book, after you've gone on this journey with this uh, character that you created to to show the dynamic, there's this sense of call to action. Now I know that you, Philip Shepard, Andrew Harvey, there's many of us, me included, there's many of us on the planet right now that are sharing a message of coming back to the body, do the emotional work, come back here, and then and then what's that contribution? So, and, and I know you, you also proclaim to say that you're not saying that you've got the answer and it has to be like this, but I know you've started an institute. And so just like, do you want to talk a little bit about that, about the, the sort of a call to action, but even somebody was watching this call today with us, Jeff, and, and just, you know, what, 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 yeah, what can we, what can we do to contribute in a very real way? Well, I, I think on an individual level, do the work inside of the bones of your being to figure out who the hell you are. The real work, the enlivened work, the charged work. And you can meditate if, if it helps you to watch yourself, witness yourself, do Vipassana. If it allows you to become aware of aspects of the self or unresolved aspects of the feeling body that need to be attended to. But don't stay there for too long. Get into your body. Be more of a Sufi than a Buddhist. Buddhism is usually just a mental illness, in my view. It's like, you know, it's just, well, I, I do. I believe Buddhism is a mental illness in many cases. I think that this endless fixation on, you know, opposition to desire, opposition to attachments, I understand the healthy component of that. But much of that, I think, is deeply unhealthy. I think live more like a Sufi, move into experience, move into the exploration of who you are in relation to this world. Stay enlivened in your body, enliven those parts that are frozen, numb, detached, closed off and armored in a way and at a pace that's sustainable. You know, don't buy into anybody's story, including my story about what any of this is. I never tell someone what their path is, you know. And, and I, and I, but I don't buy into somebody's version of the now. Whenever someone says to be here now, or, or Richard wrote, be here now, Ram Dass, or Eckhart writes, power of now. When I see that, all I hear is, oh, so there's a, a person who wasn't really in the now and finally had a taste of something they call the now. And now they're going to write a big book about the now and we're all going to believe that they know what the now is. I think, who says they know what the now is? It's not necessarily true. In fact, they may be the people that know less about the now than everybody else. That's why they need to keep writing about the now to remind themselves to come into the now. You know, just don't believe anybody. Just critically review everything. See if there's resonance within your own being, your own unique sacred purpose. Everybody's got to find their unique offering, their unique call to action. They have to figure out what is it here? Why are they here? Why are you here? 
You know, Virginia Satir is said to have said at the end of her life to Jean Houston, I did what I came here to do. That's what I wish for everybody. I don't know what anyone else is here to do. I believe if they find their individuated path, they will necessarily move into more of a collective offering. I just believe that's how it works inside of humans. Right. But right. we need to encourage people to do that sacred purpose-driven work. And, you know, and that's what my work is all about, inviting people in that direction and not trying to take over their experience, just trying to invite them in the direction of the most inclusive possible experience. Right. So if yeah. we, well, thank you for that. Um, so what's coming up for me as we say that, right? So we have this, we have these, as we know, we have multiple, multiple variations, you know, billions of different variations of what can be happening on this beautiful, mysterious planet. I mean, even right. some say it's flat, it's round, we're not here, it's illusion, it's hologram. I mean, we go, the list is endless. But if we just come into this idea that we as a species also are temporary in, in the essence that we know that civilizations before us have wiped out, yeah, it's been wiped out. Many civilizations before us have been wiped out. Sometimes a few obviously make it through in terms of our continuation. Um, and so there's this sense, I was listening to something beautiful the other day of this sense of that in these like mass crises moments and this culmination of so much bubbling right now around, <clears throat> let's say, despair, fear, uh, systems crumbling, you know, we see it around in, in the whole planet, yeah? In, there's this sense of that there's a, a, a requiring a new vision that is a, a vision that's also let's say it hasn't been seen or heard before we're like we're in this rewriting of it as it's as it's birth in itself through the crises and and when I'm hearing you speak and, and what you've been writing and also Charles Eisenstein Philip Shepard and, and other people that I, I I listen to and and I guess of course I listen to that content because that's how I I perceive it to be it resonates yeah is is that through this through this work that you're saying and, and, and going in into the bones and so on, we're actually, this is why I called this series a revolutionary man, right? A man, a, a being of love, a being that's opened the heart as opposed to closed it. And then there's this sort of, I, I'm a bit of a raging optimist, but there's this idea that we have the solutions. There is that sacred activism, that, that potential that we can rise and really create a whole new reality that is actually not even like anything we can imagine. Do you ponder anything like that? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like when they talk about the great shift and all that stuff. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think there are key moments historically and maybe we're in one, maybe not, I'm not sure, but I don't think that, I think that whatever is going to happen in terms of sustainable change, we see how long it takes for an individual to change. Right. But for an entire planet, an entire species to change is going to take hundreds and thousands of years. And, you know, I believe in grounded, sustainable change, not just moments of relief that masquerade as transformation. Right. So I believe that the work we're doing is contributory, but I, I don't think we're suddenly all people in all of these stages of fragmentation and dissociation with parts of their body where they can't even access feeling and memory suddenly are going to have this aha moment where they all wake up and we're a new collective experience. I think it's preposterous. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. We don't have the foundation structure emotionally, energetically. So many are dissociated. If they're not dissociating spirituality with bullshit versions of enlightenment, they're dissociating with these freaking phones. And right. It goes on and on and on where, you know, the un unconscious consumerism preys on the uncentered. So the more they knock us off our centers, the more money they make. And this is the whole we're in a 
We're in a war for a more integrated, inclusive consciousness against the survivalist, self-centered, unhealthily self-centered, not healthily self-centered um, consciousness. That's what we're up against. And we are a long way from what your beautiful optimism hopes for. <laughs> but at the same time, I believe in us and, and, and I believe in offerings. I believe the only way we're going to get anywhere near there is through making our offering. And which means doing enough work on ourselves to get clear on our offering and then being propelled energetically and not all bunked up with old stuff so we can make the offering. So if I had all the answers, I would have written them. I don't. I can't have all the answers. I'm only one human being. I need, it has to be a co-creative experience. So when Ken Wilber wants to study and chart out, you know, levels of awakening spiritually, he looked at all the patriarchal traditions, all those men telling us what it is and you know, not the relational framework, not the relational consciousness. Many of us know from human dynamics that we enter into a field of awareness of awakening access to divinity through relationship far beyond anything many of us have ever experienced alone as a lone wolf meditation warrior on a cave or on a, in a cave or on a cushion. So that's a whole other world of what can happen in this relational field dynamically. You know, I you, you put up a video the other day of, Sophie Trudeau, who's our Canada's leading lady who shared my stuff and brought me to Ottawa and videoed me. So in my interactions with her by email, as I was writing the book, just writing to Sophie brought some of my stuff to the next level. And then I incorporated that writing into the book in portions. And I learned from that experience, as I've learned it from many other experiences, that, you know, what happens co-creationally is really so much of where the ultimate transformation happens. And most of us aren't even there yet. Most of us can't even figure out what the hell's going on inside of us, let alone to figure out how to work with somebody in the relational context. Right. So right. we have a long way to go. And, you know, yeah, just little, inviting co-creation. Yes, I, I like that co-creation. And actually, that link, as the word as you're talking popped up community. And at the moment, there's this lot of a lot of talk around Again, there's a lot of talk about many things, but this idea of like coming, the, the community, our bodies are a community, right? Many, you know, multiple communities all, all serving and functioning, the cells functioning to serve each other and to, yeah. to make us be able to do what we're doing. And then there right. seems to be a lot of talk about this call to community and the challenges that that is actually bringing up because you know this idea of losing our autonomy having to like accept all diversity come into these little you know these little sort of hubs of community right um i don't know what's been um if you've got anything to say on that but like that seems to be like one solution but again within the community is actually the mirror the mirrors that start to come up to actually highlight the amount of uh a suffering, violence, and, and sort of ignorance that we have yeah. towards each other. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think it's fine to explore that way of living. I, I think it's going to happen more and more in the future where people are going to go off in separate pockets. And, but I, I think they're going to be dealing with the exact same problems we're dealing with now, you know, yeah. unresolved material, unhealthily egoic structures, the need to dominate. I mean, this is just going to live itself out in a different form i don't think there's one simple answer i think that anyone who thinks that there is is not living on this planet um, right. you know that's a dissociative perspective i think that it's multi-aspected and multifaceted and, and the most we can do and it's a lot is you know to continue to do the work dealing with the emotional pain to deal with the trauma because if you're all bunk, bunked up with this material you're not even here 
to have mm-hmm. access to your offering to a real clarified awareness of what's happening or what you could do to bring to the planet. So we need to support each other in doing this clearing into getting into a more of a self-revealing consciousness, whether it's online, whether it's in person, whether it's in little villages, wherever it is, so that we're not walking around all feeling shamed and guilty and like sinners for just fucking existing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so we can know the magnificence that is the self not in a narcissistic sense, but in a healthily egoic sense, and then move from that knowledge and that energy around that magnificence into bringing our offering into the world. It all begins with the self and how we handle the self and how we look at the self. And that's why we must critically review spiritual teachers, especially the famous impactful ones, and not protect them the way they want to be protected from that kind of dissent. Because spirituality is becoming more popular in many ways than religion. And if we keep leading people astray, away from selfhood, we're not going to change anything. And that, to me, that's the first and most important step that we have to take. We have to deepen, heal, and honor the self. And then we move into offering. Collective. Yeah, it's, it's such. It's so interesting to hear you say that. It's been such a talk, uh, a talk I've been having recently. And also just knowing that, you know, this idea of moving, uh, moving beyond the self, as we know, that is like, get rid of the self, get rid of the self. And you're almost flipping it flipping it back and going, no, it's solidify, solidify, heal, make it healthy, solidify, integrate the self. Then you move from the self. The experience you'll have of a unity consciousness experience from an intact self is completely different from that relief experience you have when you're going to that so-called experience from a dissociated self. Right. They're two completely different worlds. The dissociated self one just leads you farther away from humanity. The one that comes from the centered self leads you into a more integrated co-creative state in relation to humanity right right and then and yeah I, yeah i love that and, and and actually it's like not just hearing those words and going yeah uh, for people listening it's like understanding yourself with your own level of awareness of the distinction of those two what how how do you even interpret that in yourself not just hearing jeff's words or our words and going oh yeah i get that and it's cool it's like how it's like this idea of how does that show up moment to moment for you in your own related and how do you how do you how do you engage in practices that are more self-avoidant that are self-avoidance masquerading as enlightenment it's a very important question right we've all done it i want to do it I would love to do it. I would love to do drugs and bypass, but I have a Jewish liver, so I'm forced to live in reality. It's a terrible thing. You know, <laughs> asking these questions, though, you know, what is real? What, you know, what, what, talk about being in the now. For me, presence, the experience of being present is a whole being experience. Every time I experience presence from only a part of myself, I feel fractured, fragmented not connected, like basically I've abandoned some part of the self, I've orphaned an aspect of the self. If you do enough work in the self, you start to really get that, and then you know the difference between presence as a dissociative construct versus presence as a whole being experience. And if these corporations keep us all fragmented, dissociated, overwhelmed, and overstimulated, they're gonna get their way for a while, which is that none of us are ever going to stand down any of that bullshit and create a better world. They're not ultimately gonna get anywhere because none of us are gonna be here to spend money. Exactly. Yeah. And, and actually that brings us beautifully. Maybe we can spend the next few moments talking about death, because for me, what you're talking about and one of the, I'm actually doing a workshop next weekend called, um, uh, it's called uh, shine. It's like die and rise. Yeah. So rather than rise and shine, it's like die and rise. And it's this idea that, 
um, I, and actually a lot of the spirituals uh, and even Buddhists uh, talk about this, this idea of dying before you die, die and so on, embracing death and all these different aspects. But it feels to me that like there's so much fear, Jeff. So I want you to talk to, about this a little bit, right? So there's so much fear. So we have this idea that there's loads of fear in the world, this scarcity, this survival mentality. We're out there. Nobody really knows what's going on. Headless chickens, yada, yada, what we've spoken about so far. So then we've got this idea that, you know, death, death is very real as well, right? It's, it's, it's totally real. And yet there's this, I noticed that there's such a, an aversion to even face that death, our own, our own, uh, you well, know, immortality. How can you, how can you face it if you're not in your body? You're not right. even here. You're not even here. How can you even, death is just a concept. You're not going to really get closely aligned with an understanding that you're not going to be here forever if you're not actually here to begin with. So, I think if we get here, we understand at some point here's going to come to an end in this form. Um, and, and I think that that's why people don't take death seriously enough. They don't take murder seriously enough. They don't take any of those things seriously. They're just media constructs because we're not inside of our embodied experience. So we don't even really know that we're alive. Right. So that when you're seeing something like, uh, you know, whatever, a woman getting acid thrown in her face, or you're seeing the amount of murder that we right. see daily, it's become so like normal. It's in every movie. So we see it and we're like, oh, well, you know, eh, death, whatever, somebody died. And it's not until sometimes you see that stark realization when, when it's on somebody's doorstep, right? Where all of a sudden they have to feel it no matter what. And then, and that's the problem, Simon, so that people often experience deep vulnerability and presence five seconds before they go because they know it's safe enough and they're not going to be here to have to keep their hearts open for very long. Wow, yes. A survivalist consciousness. It's the armored, tough father who held it all together and made the money and took care of everybody and never cried. And then five seconds before he dies, he cries and then he dies. Right. Because he's not going to leave a survivalist consciousness for more than five seconds. And this is the world we've created. This is where we come from. There's very legitimate reasons why we came from it. We were surviving. But the reality is there isn't scarcity for everybody, certainly not in the West. You know, in the Trumpian world that we're in, we're all anxious and afraid and nervous and the unconscious media is working us and we're all feeling terrified and all of a sudden forgetting that maybe we're okay and things are actually better than they were 100 years ago. You know, it's, but, but, that's because, again, we're being pulled out of our experience of true presence. We're not here for anything. We're just being torn apart and fragmented by everything that's happening all the time outside of ourselves. So mm. I think we just need to get inside of these body temple beingness things and, you know, get here and then and turn all the fucking madness off for a while and just... And then you'll start to come back into that old consciousness we had as kids before, as kids before these fucking phones showed up, when we actually could actually feel ourselves and even feel a little bored once in a while. You remember boredom when you're in a room and you don't know what to do and you start looking at the ceiling and that's when the imagination develops. There's no boredom anymore because we're so fucking overstimulating. It's boring already, but not the good kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, beautiful. Ah, stimulating. So I, I feel that's a nice, and like, how are you feeling? Like, just have a breath and like, how are you feeling? Is there anything that we feel in this little time together that in terms of our little intention and also what we've like danced with, because I know we could dance a lot longer, but I'm feeling like, yeah, how would we like to close this? It feels like we've covered quite, quite a broad spectrum. How do you feel? I think we, we uh, as we always do, we cover a lot of ground. Yeah.
Yeah. I really appreciate that. So I want to say thank you to you as always. Uh, thank you for showing up. Thank you for your passion, your, your, your determination, your wisdom, your contribution, uh, your willingness, your rawness, your realness. And um, thank you to everybody listening. And, and acknowledge, I love what Jeff's been bringing today, just this acknowledgement of the body temple, of, of, of us as these miraculous divine beings that are connected to everything. Anything you want to say as a, as a little farewell? Just that presence is a whole being experience. And that we just got to get here for all of this, as uncomfortable as it is sometimes, because we're not going to change anything if we can't nestle into the discomfort. Mm. There you go. I invite you to uh, uh, read uh, Jeff's book and head over to his website. I have a new website, jeffbrown.co, um, all kinds of different offerings. My current site is soulshaping.com. Perfect. Okay, thank you very thank you, much. Simon. This is our time to rise.